as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just to live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one who hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Christ redeems us. While Dr. Mitchell begins our study in Galatians chapter 3 at verse 10, here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Again, we come to you. Another few moments where you and I can get together day after day and think through the scriptures. And in some way, the Spirit of God may open our minds and our hearts to the glories and the beauties and, shall I add, the sufficiency of Christ. Oh, that people would turn to Him. But once you and I get our eyes off our Savior, then we'll do something in the flesh that will not be very honoring to Him. It will not glorify Him. We will be ceasing the life of faith to live in the power and energy of the flesh, which always brings us into trouble.
And the apostle here is dealing in the book of Galatians with the sufficiency of the gospel in chapters 3 and 4. And we have been dealing with the fact that justification by faith was experienced by these Galatian Christians. Only someone came along and bewitched them. And the result was they had lost their joy and their peace because they were looking at themselves and said of the Savior who died and rose again. For I tell you again, the salvation God gives to us starts in God, is continued by God, is going to be completed by God. You and I walk by faith, not by sight, not by feeling, not by works. I'm not opposed to the works of faith. Please don't misunderstand me. Because I know there'll be some who will accuse us of teaching uh, that now that you're saved forever by the grace of God through faith, you can go out and commit all the sins you want to. Uh, this has ever been the offense against the gospel. The apostle Paul was accused of the same thing when he said, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The more we see the grace of God, the more we realize the new life we have in Christ, the more we see the fact that we've been joined to Jesus Christ in an indissoluble union, the more we want to glorify and magnify him. Tell you, my friend, the more your heart is burdened and distressed when you do do something or say something that doesn't magnify him or that dishonors him or that affects some other believer in Christ. We come to this book of Galatians, we're down to verses Verses 10 to 12, we've just taken up the fact that these Galatian Christians had been justified by faith. Their own experience had taught them that in the first five verses. And then the illustration given to us by Abraham, who was the father of those who believed. He was justified when he was ungodly. He beheld the stars of heaven and God said, so shall thy seed be. God called him out of idolatry, reveal himself to him. He believed God. He amen God. And the result was it was counted to him for righteousness many, many, many years before he was ever circumcised. Tell your friends, you a child of Abraham. Now the sufficiency of the gospel is also testified to by the scriptures. In verses 10 to 12. I'm going to read those verses again because they're so potent. As many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live, shall live in them. We were discussing in our past as in verse 10. When Christians put themselves under the law, even as a rule of life, they put themselves under the curse of the law. For the moment you break the law, in one point you're guilty of all. And, and the law curses. It never blesses. It curses you. It does not say blessed are those who do their best, but cursed are those who do not do the whole business all the time. And then in verse 11, the scriptures declare that the law can never justify. No man, no man at any time is ever justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the, for the just to live by faith. You remember that this statement 
the just shall live by faith is spoken of in, in four places in the Bible. But before we take it up, that first part of verse 11, we had it in chapter 2, verse 16. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. The law can never justify. You remember Romans 3.20. With every, man mouse, every man's mouth stopped. The whole world guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, supposing I raise the issue. What if you did keep the whole law? What would you gain? Nothing. I'm living, for example, in the city of Portland. You're living in the city where you are. Does the policeman come along and pat you on the back because you're keeping the law? No, but brother, if you break the law, then you must meet the penalty that the law demands. Likewise, the law of God curses everybody who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But supposing, I say, you did keep the whole law, the law wouldn't bless you. What would you gain by it? Nothing. Would I gain salvation? No. No. The law never saves. The law never blesses. The law shows no, no, no mercy. The law has no power to cause you to keep the law. It demands it but does not give you the power to keep it. As we said yesterday in our lesson in Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Even if, if one did become righteous by the law, it would never equal the righteousness of Christ, which you've already received by faith. May I repeat that statement? If one did keep the righteousness of the law, it would never equal the righteousness of Christ. And you've already received the righteousness of Christ when you believed and received him as your own personal savior. Having been declared righteous by God, what can you add to it? No, friend, don't dishonor the work of Christ. Do not drag the gospel down into man's sphere of works, but rather, Revel in your Savior, who was all sufficient for your need. And then you come to the end of the verse. It's an amazing little statement. For the just shall live by faith. Or the just by faith shall live. You know, there. Are, I said a moment ago, there are only four places in the New Testament, or in the Bible, I should say, where this statement is mentioned. It's first mentioned in the little prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith, never by the law. Romans 1, 17, the gospel is a, uh, a revelation of the righteousness of God from faith to faith, as it is written, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the just shall live by faith. Or if I may change the wording, the just by faith shall live. And now mark verse 12. And the law is not of faith. You know, this is an astounding thing. The law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. See, they're opposites. 
the grace of God. Well, let me read your verse. Save me quite a bit of time by just read your verses once in a while. The book of Romans, chapter 11, I read this statement. It's an amazing statement. If it's by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If it be of works, if salvation be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You can't mix them. I'm not talking about the works of faith, what James talks about in James chapter 2. I'm talking about this question of our relationship to God. That if I bring anything in, however good, and tack that to the work of Christ which he's accomplished for me, then I ruin the gospel. It's no longer the grace of God. And you'll have some ground of glory in the presence of God if you can be saved and kept saved by your works. The just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. The man that doeth them shall live in them. If you put yourself under the law, then you've got to keep the whole law. And remind you of verse 10, if you do that and you break the law in one point, you're under its curse. It never blesses, it never encourages, it never empowers, it has no mercy, it never saves, it can't give life. All it can do is to curse. And having turned to Christ and covered with the righteousness of Christ, why do you go back? As Paul afterward talks to things of the world, things that are of the flesh, things that do not glorify God. What I'm pleading for in these days is that you must believe in the sufficiency of the work of Christ at the cross and in resurrection. That when you and I are saved, we receive the Spirit of God into our lives and He must live the life through us. You can't do it. God has no confidence in your flesh nor anybody else's flesh. But he has great confidence in his Son. He has great confidence in the Spirit of God who indwells us. When you and I yield ourselves to him and let the Spirit of God have his right of way in our hearts and lives, then there'll be something of the character of God, the righteous character of God, evident in what we do and what we say and how we live. I just plead with your heart today to notice these first 12 verses of chapter 3 of Galatians. Testimony of Abraham, a testimony of the scriptures. No man, no woman, nobody is ever saved except on the ground of faith. And we're in chapter 3. I'd like to read from, read verses, just two verses, 13 and 14 of chapter 3, where we read, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And here we have the sufficiency of the work of the cross revealed at Calvary, the sufficiency of the gospel revealed at the cross. Mark this 13th verse. Christ hath redeemed us, or if I may change the word, Christ hath loosed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 
for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ has set us free forever from the law and its curse. You say, well, it just speaks of the curse of the law here. All right, when we get to chapter 4, you find he redeems us also from the law itself. He's redeemed us. He set us free forever. And my, the folly of even Christians today, turning back to that from which Christ has delivered us, to put us back under the curse of the law. Listen, friend. Christ is the end of all self-effort. Self-effort ended at the cross. That's where it landed you and me. With all our striving, with all our sacrificing, with all that we went through in our religious exercises and giving up this and that and the other thing, trying to merit favor with God, all ended at the cross. When Christ died, he was declaring the end of all self-effort. He not only put away our sins, but he died for us. We were the ones who should have died. We were the ones under the curse of a broken law. And he took our place. My, what good news this is. All the law could do with us was curse us and say you must die. Jesus died in my place and he set us free forever. He met every demand of the law. Every demand of the law was met. And Jesus Christ fully satisfied the broken law. He took your place, he took my place. And when he did that, the curse of the law fell on him. Again, I want to say, my friend, I want to get this clear in your mind. All the law of God can do is to curse. It's a ministration of death. It never gives life. It never delivers from sin. It never empowers you to live godly. It demands all these things. And woe betide the man or the woman who breaks the law in one point if they have put themselves under that law. We had in verse 10, Cursed is everyone. Oh, how glad I am. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree. Can I put it this way? Can any law-keeping add to what he has accomplished? Oh, listen, friend. To go back to the law, even as a rule of life, is to deny the sufficiency of the work of Christ. And yet I say this very, very sadly. This is what is happening today, even among evangelicals. We go back to law-keeping and thus deny the sufficiency of the work of Christ. And that's why today so many people are discouraged, so many are backslidden. Well, Mr. Mitchell, just a minute. You put us under the grace of God and we will backslide. Oh, no. Oh, no. The reason you're backslide is because you've gone back to the law. You get discouraged. You're honest enough to know that the law demands certain things and you can't meet the demands of the law and you get discouraged. Why don't you turn to the Savior? You say, he is my Savior. Well, why not let him live his life through you? We had that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. Listen, the life of Jesus Christ defies imitation. It defies imitation. You say, yes, but I have met Christians who believe in the grace of God, and they fail God. What are you going to do with them? Well, shall I use the law as a club? 
Am I going to make them behave by using a club on them? Or shall I attract them to their Savior, who is an all-sufficient Savior? You see, the trouble is people haven't fallen in love with Christ. We haven't begun to appreciate what he accomplished for us. I wonder if I dare just digress for a second here. I've been saying to you that Romans 1.17, the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. It's not a revelation of the love of God. It's a revelation of the righteousness of God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message which we declare unto you, that God is light. You see, but it, afterwards he said, God is love. I know that. In the fourth chapter of 1 John, verses 8 and 16, I know that. That's the very last revelation of God in the Bible. But there can be no manifestation of his love apart from his righteousness. My friend, God saved you in grace because his righteous character had been satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. And when Jesus Christ fully satisfied the divine character of God for you and for me, because he died to put away our sins, God would not spurn his law. The law of God must, must be satisfied. And the law of God was satisfied when Christ died bearing your sin and my sin. Now the law has no more to say. We've been joined to Christ in resurrection and his righteousness has been put over us. As you have it over in the Isaiah, he's, put, he's clothed us with a garment of righteousness. As Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. My friend, do you believe that? Then why do you want to spoil it? Why do you want to spoil it? Why do you want to be satisfied with something which is far less? Even if you did keep the law, you wouldn't, that righteousness wouldn't, would not measure up to the righteousness of Christ. So why not be satisfied with what he is? Why not revel in it? Why not rejoice in it? Why not believe it? Gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. And when you bring the law in, even as a rule of life for his people. And you ruin the gospel of the grace of God and you deny the sufficiency of the work of Christ. You don't want to do that, do you? Personal. Remember, the law never helps you to be good. The law stands over with you with a club and says, you must be good. But you cry out and say, I can't be. When I want to do the right thing, I do the wrong thing. And the law doesn't help you, doesn't have any mercy curses you. It curses you. You can understand now why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter with his own hand. He's more concerned. In fact, I would say the danger of the Galatian church is far more severe and far more serious than the carnality of the Corinthian church. Falling into the lusts and desires of the flesh into which the Corinthian church had fallen was not as bad as the Galatian church who became legalists and by their very actions were denying the sufficiency of the work of our Savior. All is in Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. And please don't go back to law-keeping and thus deny his sufficiency. Deny what is accomplished. If you go back to the law-keeping, my friend, you're, you're intimating by your action. If you're doing that to keep your salvation or to be saved, 
You're declaring the work of Christ on the cross is not sufficient to save you, not sufficient to keep you, that he's not an all-sufficient Savior. Do you want to say that? Of course you don't. Of course you don't. Then why don't you believe and put your trust in the Savior entirely? And he goes on to say in the next verse, 14, that the blessing of Abraham, this blessing of justification, might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And receiving this, the promise of the Spirit through faith, this is given to us, as Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which was given unto us. For the moment you and I accept the Savior, our bodies became the sanctuaries of the Holy Spirit. We became the temples of God, as 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 declares. I want to leave that with you today. And I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're realizing this one fact. One thing I'm really concerned about is that you do not deny the sufficiency of the work of Christ. It's sufficient for you, it's sufficient for me, and for all his people through all eternity. Now may the Lord bless you today, and again may I suggest, won't you read the book of Galatians through? Just read it through at one sitting, and read it every day if you can. It'll be a real thing to your own heart as we discuss these things. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at town.